0: he brought me to an apartment where there was a lock on the inside that you needed a key to get out Um, I was used as uh, sexual favors for his friends I didn't have a phone, I couldn't call anybody, I couldn't do anything.
1: Is there Darkness to Life contains the real stories of courageous individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey.
2: Hi, Leah hi how's it going welcome to ocj you and i have uh, a lot of history how how is it going well you know
0: <sighs> staying alive
2: <laughs> sorry i was staying alive now i want to listen to the bgs <laughs> Or is it Bay City Rollers? S a t u r d a y night. It's interesting. I'm a little nervous. I've I've hosted several of these podcasts, and I don't know why I'm nervous today. You said you're nervous as well. Why are you nervous? You got sweaty palms, I or is that do. for something else?
0: That's I don't know. Remember with a couple of times that I've been with you on the radio, um, and I was always like, <gasps> I can't do this. I'm terrified. It's kind of how it is now, but not as bad because it's not live.
2: Well, and considering the shit that you've been through, and and that's why we're here. I mean, you have absolutely nothing to be nervous or anxious anxious about. I mean, you've you've come out on the other side of some uh, pretty heavy crap. And before we start there, let's talk about what you do now.
0: Well, I do a lot of things.
2: <laughs> on your uh, way to becoming a doctor, PhD. Uh,
0: well, let's let's work on the degree first. Um, getting my bachelor of arts with a psychology concentration. Um, I'm also the training manager for a uh, retail company, um, so I do all the training and store opens across North America, and I'm also the president of the Canadian Mental Health Association here in uh, the southeastern
2: region. And I didn't know that. How long have you been, how long have you been part of that?
0: Uh, I've been on the board for four years, and I've been the president for two. Thanks to my mom. Thanks, mom.
2: And you're also uh, married with kids. So, I mean, it's just not the career. I, uh, you lead a very happy life.
0: Um, yeah, I'd say for the most part. It's, it's, for the most part. I mean, it's, it's got its challenges. We just got a new rescue dog and uh, she's having a really hard go of it. She's settling in well to the house, but health-wise, she's not doing so great. Um, and then we have our other dog and the kids are busy with their 8 million, uh, you know, activities and such.
2: So you're doing a lot of juggling on the home front. You're doing a lot of juggling at the work front. Plus Mm -hmm. you have extracurricular activities like, you know, the secondary education that you can work on your uh, bachelor degree, not to mention, you know, president of the mental health board here in town. You've accomplished so much with your life, but let's go back before all of this came to fruition because I mean, you have an, Absolute amazing story to tell about uh, struggles and illness and continuing to overcome. Uh, a true inspiration you are.
0: Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> um, Thanks. yeah. Well, it. Well, where do you want to start? I mean, that's <laughs> a pretty long. long okay. road.
2: Let's go back to your childhood. When what were you doing at the age of ten years old?
0: Oh, ten years old. I think we were living in. I want to say New Brunswick at that point.
2: Okay. Um, yeah. And where were, where were you at the age of 12 years old?
0: I think I was in Virginia.
2: Okay. And 14?
0: Oh, that was Yellowknife. That was, okay. that was the, uh, the downturn in my life.
2: You have moved, obviously, all over North America. So let's start at Yellowknife. Let's start when you're 14. You said that was the downturn.
0: Yeah, um, it actually, I moved up there when I was 13, I believe. Um, and I was always a really, really busy kid. Like, I was in dance and karate and piano and played the flute and played the trombone. And, like, I always had a million activities on the go because if I wasn't busy, I would get myself into a lot of trouble. And so when we moved up to Yellowknife...
2: Um, There's there, not a lot to do in, in Yellowknife.
0: No, unless you want to, like drink and do drugs, um, or if you're a really outdoorsy person who enjoys minus 60. Um, so grade eights, I went in and I fell in with uh, basically the only crowd there was available and started smoking and smoking weed and having the occasional drink. And it just kind of
2: went on from there. At the age of 14, I, I want to pause that and I want to get back to this. You've already said something that piqued my interest. Why the trombone?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was playing the flute before in band and I was annoyed that nobody could hear me. So I wanted the loudest instrument I could play. So I taught myself how to play it.
2: Okay. Now we can move back to in Yellowknife (laughs) and when you're starting to get involved with the bad crowd. And you said that you need to stay incredibly busy. You had a, a very happy childhood up until the age of 14 from from what you've just told me.
0: Um, it was an interesting childhood. Like my parents did the best that they absolutely could. Um, I love my mother. Not the easiest person to live with, I would say. And with my dad, he was in the military. So um, he just really wasn't ever home. And then when he was, he had no idea how to deal with children. None, not his fault or anything, but he really couldn 't discern the difference between his soldiers and his children so there was a that was a that was a hard time
2: um, Is that one of the reasons that made you gravitate towards that downturn spiral in your life of drugs and booze and hanging out with the wrong crowd, as you say was it partly to do with the family life was it partly to do with 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 boredom
0: i'd say it's probably more to do with boredom and attention seeking more than anything i was the middle child or i am the middle child i should say um and you know with that you kind of always feel like you're passed by like the oldest is special because he's the first son and the youngest is the baby and then the middle child is everything's her fault and I mean that's like a really boohoo, sad little me story. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's not how it actually always was, um, but that's how I perceived it growing up.
2: But that's how that's how you felt for sure. I, I mean, we feel how we feel. So let's let's start. So you're you're looking for acceptance, mm-hmm. and you fall into this group of kids. So. What made you try booze? What made you try drugs? Just because it was there? Was it a curiosity thing? Did you have an addictive personality at the age of 14?
0: Um, I think it was, I just really wanted to fit in. And the only way to fit in was to do what everybody else was doing. Um, And let's say there is probably some curiosity there as well. I mean, um, alcoholism is something that runs in my family as well. Um, So I think it was like, i can i can drink and i don't have to be an alcoholic it just kind of defy the the norm of the fam and so yeah so that's that's where it started but it was drinking was never really the big issue It was always the the weed is that i was like i would always be home by curfew but i was always stoned out of my face um and that just
2: why did you have a curfew? It, it was—is it because you were a a bad kid, or was it just parents being parents and they wanted to make sure that you were home at X time? Nine thirty-seven. At fourteen.
0: Yep. Nine
2: thirty-seven. Nine
0: thirty-seven. Yep. Because no 937? matter no matter where you are in Yellowknife, you can get home in seven minutes.
2: Okay, I can dig it. Um, how long were you smoking weed?
0: Well, I started when I was 13, and... How was it introduced to you? I think I was just in, at school in the playground, like after school, and a bunch of us were hanging out, and a joint appeared, and it was passed to me, and I just was like, fuck it, and did it. Did
2: you, did you like it? Um,
0: No, actually, <laughs> I really didn't. It was uh, uncomfortable. Uh, so but- why
2: did you, why'd you do it?
0: because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be with my peers and be accepted. They all come from much more challenging backgrounds than myself. Um, I came from a very, I mean, in comparison, a very cushy background um, where these kids came from abusive households. They, um, you know, parents are alcoholics or, you know, a couple of them are 15 and had babies already. Like as it was not an easy group to fit into, but you did. I did. Yeah, I I'm kind of like a chameleon, fit in anywhere. Um, so
2: did that overtake your life? Did you start skipping school? And was it you know in the in the back alley behind the school now, uh, weed and booze?
0: Well, I went to my first day of grade ten. No, I didn't go to my first day of grade ten. I went for coffee and had every intention of going and then didn't. And then realized that um, the phone system that calls your parents to say, hey, your kid has missed one or more classes today, uh, wasn't working. And so I was like, huh, I don't have to go again. And then the next day, I just stayed for coffee. And eventually that led to me actually not going to
2: school anymore. Why do you think you stopped caring?
0: I think it was a bit to do with the thrill that I was getting away with something.
2: How long were you in Yellowknife for? Mm,
0: I made it there till about 2000. I was 16. Um, I, by this point, I'd already moved out of my parents' place. Um,
2: so you've been in yellow. You've been in Yellowknife for about two years at this point. Yeah, and you've gone from being a, a somewhat normal. School kid to falling into a crowd that smoking a lot of pot, um, drinking a lot of booze, to the point of where, you know what, school isn't important anymore. So you started ditching school, and the school gets a hold of your parents. They tell your parents, and they can't do anything to control you.
0: Um, my dad actually found out that I wasn't in school anymore when he found me working at my full time job. <laughs> at a restaurant on his birthday. So that was kind of not a great birthday gift for him.
2: Um, yeah. So, but but you're keeping it together at this point. Sure. You're not in school, but you have a full-time gig.
0: Yeah, I, I did. Um, that didn't last very long because uh, once my parents found out that I wasn't in school, they said, either you go to school um, or there's gonna be serious consequences and you have to stop, you know, smoking weed. You got to stop smoking cigarettes and you got to stop drinking and you got to stop partying with these people. And I just said to them, well, then I'm not going to live here anymore. And I moved out with my boyfriend at the time who had four other roommates. And
2: how the, old are you? at the, How old are you at this point in your life? Fifteen. Fifteen and you move out. Yep. So you just pack up a bag out the front door and you never look back.
0: Oh, man, I spiraled bad after that. Um, I end up living in a series of places because, you know, when you're 15 and you move out with your boyfriend that you've been dating for like two weeks, that that usually doesn't work out very well.
2: You moved, So you moved into your boyfriend's place with two other people that you've known for two weeks? Four other people. Four other people? Yeah, there was a,
0: we we're a very busy household. Um, so nice.
2: Was it a nice house?
0: N- no, I mean, yeah. I, I lived with five guys, so... Nope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah it was pretty gross. There was a lot of drinking, a lot of partying. Um,
2: and, and were it, you well into that? I, I mean, were you just in there like everybody else? Or at this point, are you still trying to go, you know what? This life isn't for me. I need to go back home.
0: No, I was right into the party scene at this point. Um, and when things didn't work out there, I found myself another party house to go live at. Um, which was not a great thing for me. Um, I started feeling a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and a lot of, um, embarrassment and like a failure. Uh, this was because my dad stopped talking to me.
2: So at the age of 16, you're already feeling like this.
0: Uh, yeah, the age of 16, I think it was just after my 16th birthday is my first time I tried to kill myself.
2: Are you still in Yellowknife at this point?
0: Yes, but only for a very short period. Yes, after my first stint, uh, and then some time in the hospital, uh, I end up moving to Winnipeg to live with another relative.
2: Can we talk about your attempt at suicide? Sure. Uh, when did it happen? What what led you to it?
0: Um. We all know alcohol is quite a bit of a depressant. Sure. Uh, And I got pretty intoxicated. Started thinking about my life and um, my dad wasn't talking to me. Uh, My mom didn't want to be seen with me in public. Uh, My brother and sister weren't talking to me. Um, I was living a really crappy life with really crappy people around me. And I just hit a point where I was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And I
2: don't think there's a way out. What's your mindset? Do you see yourself as the victim at this stage in your life?
0: Oh, no. I've always blamed myself for for all my bad choices. I don't feel like I was a victim. I just feel like I made some piss poor decisions and it just led me to a point where I just feel like I couldn't escape.
2: There was a huge lesson in that though. I, I mean, always taking responsibility for your choices, your actions and your reactions. Ultimately, we reap what we so and where you are today because of you taking accountability for your reactions you have turned your life completely around so I, i think out of that darkness there comes a huge life lesson
0: yeah um i think one of the biggest lessons and it took me years and years and years to learn was that um it's not good to always blame yourself for everything It's great to take accountability for your bad decisions, but you also have to remember that there's other situational factors that played into everything that happened. I didn't deserve for, you know, some really terrible things to happen to me.
2: Sure, Um, nobody does.
0: But, you know, I blame myself for it anyway. I was like, this is my fault if I didn't make this choice and this bad thing wouldn't have happened and I, I would have been okay.
2: So you've become estranged from your family and these ne'er-do-wells that you're hanging out with. Are they your new family? They Do they actually give a shit about you? Oh, God, no. No. Um, did, you, did you care about them?
0: Uh, I tried to. I was like the mama bear of the whatever place I was living in, you know, making sure everybody got fed and, you know, I'd scrape together a change and make sure that I could put together some sort of meal for us. And ugh, it was an ugly time.
2: I want you to think about this, not necessarily you, Leah, but, but for the listener, the responsibility you have at the age of 15 when you're already dealing with so much shit in your life. When you tried to kill yourself, what were the final days, the final weeks, the, the, the final hours leading up to this decision that you said, you know what, fuck it, I'm done with it.
0: Um, at this point, I'd also been diagnosed with bipolar two, um, anxiety disorder, and depression, and so uh, a wise psych- psychiatrist decided to drug me up to the point where I was mentally not able to function particularly well. Um, and by the way, when you stop taking all those meds abruptly, it's it's not good for you. <laughs> uh, so,
2: so you're homeless. Uh, You've given up school. You're into the booze. You're into the drugs. You seek help. And even that fails you.
0: Yeah. Well, it gave me um, my first way of being able to try and kill myself as I took all of the pills that I had, which was a
2: lot. Where were you when you took them?
0: I was at the house. I was in a, a trailer that I shared with like seven other people
2: with seven other people. Okay, mm-hmm. so we've moved out of the apartment that only has six and now we're <laughs> now we're living in a place that has seven.
0: Well, there was another place in between there too. <laughs> so, was another trailer with a bunch of people, so but yeah, by are this you, time.
2: Are you hanging out with the same people? Obviously, you're hanging out with the same type of people, but are are you still frequenting socializing with the people that you were living with in your first place? Do you have the same boyfriend?
0: Uh, no, he and I broke up and I've gone through a few boyfriends since then. Um, what do they call that when you live with somebody or you date somebody in order to have a roof over your head? There's like a particular
2: term I've seen in a meme. I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I know there is as well. Rick, I know you're here. What's what's the word, Rick? No idea. <laughs> no idea. Okay. We'll call or it the no idea. We'll, we'll call it the no idea syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're down in the dumps obviously who wouldn't be considering everything that you've been through and again you're only what 16 years old
0: yeah yeah so um yeah it was having night of partying and started thinking about all the shit in my life and how i was never going to get out and decided that that was the time and a roommate found me um and i got rushed off to the hospital and had my stomach pumped which i can tell you is an
2: unpleasant experience Don't do it. Did they give you that charcoal shit that you have to swallow?
0: No, I went right up my nose and into my stomach. It was great.
2: I've been there. Yeah. 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 No, it's not great at all. No. (laughs) No. It's it's a horrible feeling. So at least somebody in that house had the common sense to what, phone 911?
0: Yeah, that was about it.
2: What do you remember? Waking up in the hospital?
0: Yeah, and my mom was there. um, So that was... That was an interesting thing to see um, how long had
2: How long had it been since since you've seen your mother?
0: Um, my mom used to let me come over and do laundry at the house every now and again. Um so it hadn't been too too long, uh, but she had to hide it from my dad, obviously, because I wasn't supposed to be there.
2: Were you thankful that you failed at committing suicide, leah? Uh, at
0: at this, that, at this point At that point, I was indifferent, really, yeah. I was indifferent. I was uh, still trying to figure out, like, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> I didn't intend on being here. So, like, what do I do? So you're numb? Pretty much, yeah. You have
2: no you have no emotion, no feeling whatsoever?
0: No. It was just like a, I think, more of a disappointment almost, Um because I didn't have anywhere. Well, it was disappointment and anxiety. It's like, well, where the hell am I supposed to go? I can't go home. Can't go back to these roommates. Um, and that is when one of my uh, uncles invited me to come live in Winnipeg.
2: Is he a good uncle? And again, I need to reiterate, my God. So alcoholism runs in your family, which is hereditary. You're well into drugs. You're homeless, estranged from your family. You've given up on school. You've tried to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. you're only 16 years old.
0: Yeah, it gets a lot darker. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um, Okay, so how did you end up living with your uncle? Did your mom reach out to him going, you got to do something with my kid?
0: I guess my family uh, were in cahoots, uh, not to my knowledge, but um, I found out that when I was in the hospital, my mom said, you know, your uncle's going to take you and here's your plane ticket and you're... As soon as you're out of the hospital, you're out of here.
2: So why your uncle? Why not them? Why not your mom and dad?
0: Oh, because I wasn't willing to change my ways. uh, And I made that adamantly clear. And I wasn't willing to apologize for anything. Um, I was really angry at my father. Um, I didn't want to live under his roof because he had incredibly stringent rules and regulations. And I just was not ready for that kind of structure.
2: So the ship you off to Winnipeg with your uncle and everybody knows full well that you have no intent of trying to straighten your life out at this point.
0: I think I gave them some hope saying like, oh yeah, fresh start. That will be, that'll be great.
2: Um, But it it wasn't a fresh start. It it was, it was the same bullshit just in a different city.
0: Exactly. Uh, It took me, I think a whole two weeks before I was back into finding the drugs and my drinking buddies and...
2: What, no, why two weeks was it be, like, is that one of the first things? Like, did you try to stay sober for two weeks or was it just because you couldn't find anybody for two weeks until you wanted what you needed?
0: Yeah. I was living, um, on, on base in Winnipeg. Um, so my aunt and uncle were trying to keep me at home and try to make sure I'm staying safe. And I think I was just so tired. I was just really okay with that. Um, and then, I was like, I need to get out of this house, and I went off to the mall and made a new friend. And that. Friend, yeah, no,
2: yeah. What do you say by friend? You don't mean like a real friend, do oh, you? Oh God, no,
0: just a just a party buddy.
2: What, what, how old are you at this? How old are you at this point? Sixteen, seventeen. Still,
0: still sixteen. Yeah. Um, Got
2: no interest, in and you're not going to school.
0: No, I tried it for a couple of days, and I was two years older than. Um, everybody else in my grade because I've not been in school for two years um,
2: and you're not and you're not working
0: no uh, I started looking for a job and I found one um, which I was going to start the I think it was like a week after my birthday uh, but I went out partying on my birthday and I got home to an aunt and uncle who said you can't live here anymore and handed me my things and said see you later
2: how long were you living with your aunt and uncle?
0: Only a few months.
2: And they got tired of it.
0: Yeah. Really quickly.
2: Then what? Cause you only know a handful of people in Winnipeg. That's the only family that you had. And I'm assuming it sounds like your aunt and uncle are good people.
0: Uh, my, my aunt is no longer my aunt and she's a terrible person. But okay. <laughs> my uncle is a, he is a good guy. He, he is. He's uh he, he tried. So, um, Yeah, at this point, they literally handed me my stuff. I had zero dollars to my name, Um, no place to go, no friends. Um, So basically, I went to Perkins, and I had, I think, two dollars in my pocket, which was enough for a never-ending cup of coffee. And I spent the night at Perkins. uh, The night...
2: yeah, well Perkins is 24/7. I mean, when you have no money, that's what you do, right? You cool. you hop up on Javi. You go there with five or six people and you pool enough enough money and maybe one of you can get a meal and you all pick from it.
0: Yeah, I was just there by myself. Pretty sad. Um
2: Where's the people that you were hanging out with then?
0: Well, like I said, not real friends, so They don't care. No. Um So yeah, that night was a, uh, it was a very lonely night. Um and then I had uh, I actually had a childhood friend uh, from when I was in grade three, and I lived in Winnipeg the first time, uh, I reached out to her, and I got to spend a few nights at her house uh, while I tried and sorted my life out until I could start my job and get some money together so I could find a place to live.
2: And this is seventeen.
0: Uh, yeah, seventeen.
2: So basically you're homeless in Winnipeg.
0: Yes, I'm homeless in Winnipeg, and that lasted for quite a while. Uh, I couch surfed. Um, luckily when the weather got warmer and I couldn't find a place to stay, I used to walk to my old school that I went to grade three and four in and sleep in the, uh, park there. Cause I knew that that's, that was like the safest place I could think of.
2: That was the safest place was a park in Winnipeg.
0: Yeah. Uh, so growing up the way that I did, uh, I was not aware of services to help people, like homeless shelters or any of that kind of stuff. Um,
2: and the system has already failed you once at this point.
0: Yeah. So it was it was a pretty pretty brutal situation.
2: How long were you homeless for?
0: About six months.
2: Jesus, living on the streets at 17.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was fortunate that like a lot of the times I could find a couch to stay on. So that was...
2: A couch of people that you knew, strangers, or people that you just shared things in common with, drugs and booze? A
0: little mixture of all of the things. So, yeah. um, And And are you
2: still into pot, or has it gotten heavier at this point?
0: um, It's about to get heavier, uh, because now that I found my next boyfriend to go live with, um, he's the one who introduces me to coke, which became my drug of choice.
2: How did you find this guy? Where did you meet this boyfriend?
0: Uh, I had a part time job working at like a telecommunications place, and one of the girls that worked there it was her cousin
2: this is this absolutely amazes me that on one side of this coin you're in the deepest darkest recesses of the human condition and yet on on the flip side, you can function well enough to keep a job. What were you using the money for? I mean, shit, I already know the answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, my couple couple bucks went to rent uh, at this boyfriend's place, and the rest of it went up our noses. Uh, and keeping a job was not like really a thing. It was I went through a series of jobs over, you know, I think I worked at about. Ten ten different places,
2: but you obviously have some skills I mean if you can get that many jobs so relatively quick, right i mean that that says something about well i guess your your drive your ambition, whether you put it to bad or whether you put it to good yeah did you did you did you like cocaine
0: loved it sure loved it yeah loved it so much uh yeah. so much I, so that it really like I lost a lot of jobs showing up, having not slapped, just all jittery and ugh, yeah, getting kicked out of, I, oh man, I, got, I was working downtown in Winnipeg and I got
2: escorted out by the security. That was fun. You're working in downtown Winnipeg to boot?
0: Yeah, <laughs> downtown Winnipeg. I live down there. Um, you're familiar with Winnipeg.
2: I yeah, i am a Manitoba boy. I spent a lot of time in Winnipeg. And if you're not familiar with River City, the one place you don't want to be after dark is downtown. You don't want to be at Portage and Main when, once that sun sets. No. And that was that was probably your backyard.
0: Uh, I lived between St. Matthews and Ellis on Victor Street.
2: I, I know the place very, very well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you say <laughs> it so happily. Oh, no, we were just in Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, Last summer, summer before, no, last summer, um, my sister and I went to a wedding there and I'm driving along and we're trying to find a Starbucks and they actually have a Starbucks down in that area now. It's improving. Um,
2: well, okay. It couldn't get much worse.
0: <laughs> no, I look over and I'm like, oh, Becca, I'm going to run this red light. And she's like, what? And I'm like, I can't be here. It was on the corner of uh, one of the streets there when I went to go get a Slurpee after cleaning my house. Um, and I had like $2 and change in my hands, wearing sweats. And I got mugged by two. Um, Jesus. Calling them prostitutes is like a really nice thing because they were, they were definitely addicted to the crack cocaine.
2: And now, so many really horrific things have, have happened to you. So at this point you're in Winnipeg, you're 17. You've been introduced to cocaine. And probably any other drugs that are available to you and you're living with the same boyfriend, the same guy that introduced you to it?
0: Uh, Yeah, Uh, he and I actually ended up staying together for quite a while. Um, It was a really tumultuous and ugly relationship where we were codependent on each other, but at the same time, like incredibly abusive.
2: How do you get out of that relationship? What happens after that?
0: Ooh, I think that's when the police came, um, and I was removed from the apartment, um, so I <laughs> went to the bar, because, like, I mean, what do you do, uh, and met a person at the bar who said, hey, I just happen to have a room to rent, why don't you come live with me?
2: So... Oh, uh- what bar, by the way? I, maybe I was there. <laughs> Shannon's Irish Pub downtown. Hey! Yeah! I also know that place. No. Um, and how did you end up there? Um, you, big fight with the boyfriend? And you're like, yep. fuck it, I'm out.
0: Yep, well, no, I'm out. Fuck it, the cop showed up and made me leave. <laughs> so... <laughs>
2: Yeah, right. So. so they just escorted you to the front door of wherever you were staying and cut you loose. And you ended up at Shannon's Pub. Yep. Where you met somebody else in what matter of weeks, days, hours, minutes.
0: I was like, I got there and I was telling my story of woe um, to the bartender. And the guy sitting next to me was like, I have a room to rent. And I was like, cool, because I need a place to sleep. Job done.
2: How trusting are you, Leah?
0: I think it's more of a um, more of a survivalist than anything. Like, is it better to be on the street in that area after dark alone or is it better to risk it and, you know, stay at a stranger's house where at least there's only one person who might rape or kill you?
2: And these are legitimate fears. These are legitimate situations that you could have and probably have found yourself in. Yep. So you meet a guy that you barely know and he says, yeah, I got a room for you to rent. So you say, yeah, sure. Okay. And it's not about naivety. You're an incredibly intelligent and smart woman and you obviously have lots of street sense. So it's about looking after yourself at the end of the day while still maintaining that drug riddled life that you're leading.
0: Yeah. I actually, this guy ended up actually being not too terrible. Um, I actually rented a room from him and he did have, like a girlfriend, and we lived pretty peacefully. I actually stopped doing drugs at that point for the couple of months that I lived there.
2: Because you wanted to, or because he wanted you to, or was that one of the rules of living there?
0: That was one of the rules of, of living there, but also because I didn't have money for drugs and <laughs> money to get to a bar where I could meet, find, you know, find somebody to give me drugs. So I was kind of trapped.
2: For a while. Was was this probably one of the first people in years that actually gave an honest crap about your well being?
0: I'm not even sure he really cared all that much. He just was happy to have a room rent and
2: a little you bit know. of money coming in. Yeah, exactly. How old are you at this at this point in your life?
0: Seventeen still, I think. Maybe wow. eighteen.
2: Wow. And you've been through enough for more than a lifetime.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um yeah, that you know. Obviously, things downturned again when he kicked
2: me out because you were back in the drugs.
0: I was partying hard, and I brought home somebody, and he did not like that. So he had asked me to move out.
2: Where did you move to?
0: Another another place downtown. <laughs> uh, this one we only had. There was four of us total living. Did in you know
2: these? Did you know these people?
0: Um. Not particularly, uh one of the guys was a bouncer at a club I used to frequent um prior to my being eighteen <laughs> uh,
2: so when uh, you're living with these people because you share a lot of th- because you share a lot of the same things in common, or again just because you got to look after yourself and it's a place to stay
0: well, the uh girl that I lived with, she and I worked a beer tub together at one of the clubs um so yeah, it was just kind of where we stayed, but we weren't really friends. We didn't really hang out other than, you know, doing the beer tub thing. Um, And that clearly showed when, again, uh, I just started.
2: What's your your purpose in life at this point? Is it just to get drunk and high? Pretty much.
0: Yeah. There was like zero ambition other than that. Um, And it all came to a head again, where it just was too many days without sleep or proper nutrition. And, Spiraling and thinking about this is my life now, and this is how I'm probably going to die. So let's just speed that process along and try again.
2: So you had accepted it. You're like, Hey, well, this is, this is my life. I'm not going to see a ripe old age. No, was- and, and, and are you still indifferent? Are you still numb? Are you still emotionless?
0: Just sad and angry, I think, more than anything. There was just no joy left. I didn't get excited about life. I wasn't happy about anything. There was nothing I had to look forward to. Um, it was just, you know, my family wasn't really talking to me still. You know, I was abandoned by my uncle and aunt who promised to give me shelter and throw me out on the street, literally.
2: So now, so now what? So so now you're living downtown Winnipeg again with a bunch of strangers that you barely know. Mm -hmm. How long are you there? Um,
0: until I try to kill myself again, which is a couple months, maybe.
2: So between the ages of 14 and 18, you've tried to commit suicide twice. Yeah. Were you more serious at about this time around?
0: I did it the same way. So apparently I didn't learn the first time that that, that, that route wasn't going to work.
2: So prescription pills. Yeah. So when I hear prescription pills, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but to get a prescription, you need to see a doctor. So at some point in your time in Winnipeg, were you seeking help?
0: I had a stash of them from uh, when I first got to Winnipeg and I was shipped off to see the psychiatrist um, and I just never took the pills they gave me a month's worth of everything and away I went. And that was, that was my little stash I kept.
2: And you take them all one night mm-hmm. and you wake up in the hospital again. Yep. Who brought you in this time?
0: Uh, it was my boyfriend at the time.
2: And was he there when you woke up? No. Who was anybody?
0: Nobody was. That was. That was where I was like completely alone, and that's. How scary is this, Leah? I, I mean, I, I, you just try not to think about it. It's like, okay, well, this is my life right now. I need to have a plan A, B, and C. What am I going to do? And at this point, I just uh, I got desperate enough. I, I called my parents and begged to come home.
2: And they're still in Yellowknife?
0: No, this time they'd moved down to Saint Albert. So Edmonton. Yeah.
2: Okay. What did they say?
0: Uh, they said, "Yeah, sure, you can you can come home, but you can't drink, you can't do drugs, you have to you know be home by a curfew, only can go out you know twice a week until ten p.m. and then you have to be home." And I was like, "You know what? Cool."
2: Now, when you said "cool," did you mean it? <laughs>
0: no i think i meant it in the moment where i was like cool this is my escape i can do this um at least to be safe for a little while
2: so i imagine you have no money so they pay your way to okay so you're living back with mom and dad Mm -hmm. how long are you sober this time oh
0: i think i did pretty good this time and i lasted a few months like four months maybe
2: and then it's back to square one.
0: Well, in this time, um, once I moved back home, my parents were like, "You need to do something with your life," and I was like, "Yeah, you know what? I really do." Um, so, we decided that I was going to go to college as a mature student, uh, which apparently you can do without high school because I don't have that.
2: How How old are you now? I am I, I, nineteen. I don't. Okay, so you, so you're nineteen. So you've been living this horrific life the spiraling life for five years now when you first started you were in yellow knife and you said you fell into this because there was nothing to do yeah so now why are you doing this now why are you living the life you're living at the age of 17 18 19 because you're living in big centers there's all kinds of things to do there's all kinds of opportunities
0: Well, it's too late by that point i was already into the to the love of the coke yeah and the booze and the party lifestyle. I mean, like I hung out with some very interesting people.
2: <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it.
0: Yeah, well, some some people were actually quite interesting. Um I'm a I'm a people watcher. I like to <laughs> you know, you like sit on a bench sometimes and you just watch people go by and make up little stories in your head.
2: One of my is it wrong to say that's one of my favorite hobbies? It's to so peop- my favorite hobby. I love to it. To people watch? Yeah. It is fun, isn't it?
0: It is. It's just like the world is full of such diverse and interesting people. And I mean, good or bad, whatnot, it's just like, how do they get to that point?
2: Which well, is. Shit, every- yeah, everybody has a story to tell. And this is an amazing story. And I love the end of it. I absolutely love the end of this story, especially when you consider everything that you've told us so far and the hardships that you have endured. I I mean, addiction, alcoholism, uh, mental health issues, homelessness. Do you ever look back and go, Jesus, I'm lucky to be alive. Right. I I mean, attempted suicide as well. Every,
0: every day of my life, I, I, definitely go, I should probably not be here. So I better do something really great with it.
2: So you're in Prince Albert, living with mom, a mature student going yes. to college. What are you going to college for? Do you even know?
0: I'm going to get my, uh, I'm, I'm doing a business program there, um, an accelerated one to keep me busy. Did, Did it you? work? No, I got a bunch of student loans and then I bought a lot of drugs. It was awful. It was so stupid. Like my parents were paying for me to have an apartment downtown so I could be close to the college. You know, I was supposed to be going. They're paying for my tuition. They sunk tons and tons of money into me. I applied for student loans on my own and didn't tell them. And as soon as that money was in my hands, I was back out partying again.
2: With people that you don't know. Yeah. Just people that have the same things in common with you.
0: Oh my God. The amounts of times... That I went with strangers and shouldn't have bad things happen when you do that.
2: How long does this go on for? Uh, how long before How long before the jig is up? How long before your mom finds out? Oh God. um
0: I think I got through half a year of school before the jig was up. Uh, and then with that, I skipped town. I was just like, I'm out, gotta go.
2: Did you tell anybody?
0: No, um, my sister knew, but that was she helped me pack up my place. And
2: so, one day your mom's talking to you, and the next day she's not because she can't find you. Do you feel any guilt? Do you, do you feel? How do you feel about your life?
0: I'm so filled with shame and guilt at this point because, I mean, you got to remember at one point in my life I was their golden child. I could achieve anything, do anything. I was a straight A student. I excelled at everything I did. And then I crashed and burned that dream they had for me and blew it up with like an atomic bomb. It was just, I kept, I was running. I was running away because I didn't, didn't want to be there.
2: But it doesn't matter where you run and you would find this out if, if you don't know this already. Your problems go where you go exactly where did you run to so where do we go from prince albert st albert st albert sorry st albert (laughs) prince albert's in saskatchewan
0: that is correct yes
2: that's where the prison is did you end up there
0: no but that's also the name of a very interesting (laughs) piercing
2: you can't have a well i guess you could i I can't no no. (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) i cannot no (laughs) no I, I miss All that right. equipment. I don't have that. So uh,
2: so what happens after St. Albert?
0: Uh, I ended up
2: in Calgary. So, and that's about 300 kilometers away from St. Albert.
0: <laughs> yes. With a guy I met online. Of course. Yeah. Cause that's smart. He was actually a really nice person, uh, like really nice and a professional. And I don't know what he was doing on the internet, picking up strange girls, but Um, I, for his sake actually said, I can't live here with you. Like you were actually a nice person and
2: I am, I gotta go. You told him that you said I'm trouble.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, this is not going to be good for you. How long were you with him? Oh, three weeks, three weeks. And I was like, I can't, I cannot do this to you. So again, off I go. To where? Um, I had I got a job downtown at American Drug Source Supply, which was like a company that we used to fill prescriptions for Americans, I guess. Um, and I got an apartment right across the street. And this pl- area is famously known as Crack Corner. Crack Corner in Calgary.
2: How did you find out about Crack Corner?
0: Uh, I lived there uh, without knowing. I responded to an ad for this job. I responded to an ad for a roommate. And then I went there and was like, "Oh my god. I'm I'm in Winnipeg again."
2: Was this the wake-up call? No. No, that
0: that there's a ways to go yet.
2: Yeah. Um I just want to take a break. Who would you want to Play yourself in a movie because, damn, if there was ever a movie that needed to be created, it's it's your story. Uh, you ever thought about that?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think we've like kind of my sister and I are always like, you know, if we were going to be played, like who would want to play us or who would we Nicole want to play us?
2: Nicole Kidman.
0: Yeah, you know, I think she'd probably do
2: a good job. Yeah, um, I think she would.
0: <laughs> yeah, we had we had a few different choices there. But I can't actually remember any of them right now. You're putting me on the spot.
2: <laughs> so do you get involved? Do you get involved in, into crack?
0: Uh, yeah, I did for a short period. Um, and this is how I somehow ended up in Okotoks with a fiance at this point.
2: Calgary, you're living in Calgary. Calgary yep. is south of St. Albert. Okotoks is south of Calgary.
0: Yeah. I think. I, I, honestly, south, north, east, west. I don't know what those things mean. Tell me light, right or left? <laughs> up or down? Down. Down. Gotcha. Gotcha.
2: It's down. It's down. <laughs> south is always down. North is always up.
0: <laughs> Never eat shredded wheat. That's how I know no, it.
2: Exactly. Right? Um, uh, so how long are you in Calgary for?
0: I was only there for, again, a few months.
2: Um, just just long enough to be introduced to crack? Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. um, Then got into a van with a guy uh, and my, I guess, fiance, he actually bought me a ring. I had one. I guess we were engaged. Um,
2: You you say you guess. It sounds like you don't remember a a lot of these these days, understandably so. It sounds like there's a a lot of haze and a lot of fog and and maybe even some memories that you're not even aware of.
0: Um, So I call these my lost years. Because okay. uh, I'm honestly, I piece together a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of memory deficit. There's a lot of, I have no idea what happened for months on end. Um, like I have a general idea, kind of, of what happened. But if you asked me, you know, what were you doing on this day? I'd be like, I
2: don't know. So you hop hop into a white van with a guy who's selling hot cassette decks and you make your way uh, down to Okotoks.
0: Yeah, I end up living. Uh, We uh, we were only in Okotoks for a short period and then I ended up in Three Hills.
2: With her fiancé.
0: With my fiancé who was uh, in the oil field. Uh, We rented a house there and that relationship was intensely violent and just filled with booze and drugs and uh, I was completely isolated. I had no vehicle. Well, I didn't have a license anyways.
2: Um, so on top of everything else you've been to, now you're being verbally, emotionally, and physically abused.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I was working in Jeez. a bar uh, in Three Hills where I didn't know anybody. Um, my fiance and I got into a huge fight. Uh, it was it was really a disgusting thing. He was smashing stuff and smashing me. And so I was like, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. And I ran to the bar where I work. Cause so I was like, I'll be safe there.
2: How hard is it for you to talk about this right now?
0: Um, well, it turns out I actually do have an anxiety disorder. So I've got, uh, I'm, I'm medicated for that, which helps kind of, yeah. yeah, my heart's like racing right now. And, uh, I had a really sleepless night last night. Um, just you know worried about what what this might do because right now I'm okay talking about it but it's like if this is dredging up a lot of stuff like how am I going to feel later today
2: are you okay to talk about this Mm
0: -hmm. yeah absolutely like right now I'm totally cool Um, and later I have a plan if I am feeling not great
2: Well, we're neighbors. I can bring over chicken nuggets. I know you're a fan of those.
0: With the hot mustard sauce, buddy. (laughs) I got a bubble bath. Like, you know, I got my big clawfoot tub. I can sit my bubble bath. I've got a good book to read and I've got puppies to snuggle and a husband and kids to love me back. So
2: I'll be okay. And the thing is, I can't wait to get to the end of the story because I know the kind of life that that you have now. And I think anybody that knows you and anybody that knows what you've been through is so well i don't know I, i'm so proud to call you my friend and I'm, I'm just proud to stand you know beside you if we ever get to get away from this whole social distance bullshit I know. you're so you're you're an okotoks three hills now three hills gee yeah. and how old are you at this point
0: well this is coming to the end of this so i'm about 20 actually no Today is the 14th, and it was the 20th of January, 15 years ago, that this all came to a head.
2: Um, So so how old were you in Three Hills?
0: Uh, I was
2: 20. 20. So at this point, you've spent, God, almost half of your life living a a life that very few people know about, not necessarily a good kind of life. Is this when you decide to turn your life around? Not quite. Okay. <laughs> We're
0: so close. Um, this is where it gets probably to the darkest point uh, for me. And I think probably the most challenging thing to talk about because from this intensely violent feud with my fiance, I went to the bar where I was working and there was a kind gentleman there who said, like, are you okay? Are you upset? Like, what's going on? What do you need? I'm going to take care of you. We're going to go get your stuff right now. We're going to get you out of here, promising me the world. And I was in a, such a desperate situation that I was like, yeah, okay, let's let's do this. You know, if it's worked out so far, I haven't been murdered yet. Um, what's the worst that's going to happen? and apparently like pretty much the worst thing could happen we got out to um, another town a couple hours out uh, and he changed completely um, it just became a super controlling like we're doing this my way type thing and uh, he brought me to an apartment where there was a lock on the inside that you needed a key to get out Um sorry just uh give me a time, second
2: take your time and leah if if, if if this is too difficult we don't have to okay
0: No, oh, it's okay i think it's a uh, good for people to know that um you really got to be a lot more careful <laughs> in life because bad things do happen um i was locked up in that apartment for a month um where I was used as uh, sexual favors for his friends. Um, I was kept in a room there, uh, basically drugged up the entire time. So I was either unconscious or very out of it. Uh, And then I must have pissed him off in some way because in the middle of the night, he threw me outside with no shoes, no jacket, and said, you're on your own. So at, I think it might have been 2 in the morning or something like that, I'm running around the back alley of this place. I have no idea where I am. I have no idea what's going on. Um, banging on people's doors to try and find somebody to help me. So I did. Uh, and this person was kind enough to take my, me and the few things that I had that he, this guy had thrown outside um, and drove me back to Three Hills. Um, where I had to then break into my old house uh, because the abusive fiancé was no longer there. Um, He was working away. Uh, I broke into the house uh, to try and get some more of my things. And being the person that I am, went back to the bar to try and drown out what had just happened because I didn't have anywhere to go. I I didn't have a phone. I couldn't call anybody. I couldn't do anything.
2: Um, Can you remember what you're feeling?
0: Absolutely disgusted with myself and feeling like I was so stupid.
2: You're mad at yourself for what happened to you.
0: Yeah. Well, it was my choices that brought me there. So, you know, had I chosen to go to school that day instead of staying for that cup of coffee, how different life would have been.
2: So you break into your, sorry, you break into your fiance's house mm-hmm. and you get all of your stuff back.
1: Yep.
0: Um. Well, not all of my stuff. He'd smash most of it. Um. But I gathered a few things, and decided like I couldn't, didn't want to. Um. Deal with any of that right now. So I decided to go back to the bar where I met this psychopathic monster um to drown out my sorrows because that's what you do when uh you feel that way you just want to feel them again uh where and then of course because you know i don't learn very well Uh, i met another gent uh who i got really really high with uh and then woke up in edmonton
2: Why do you think you find yourself drawn to these people that share so many similar traits?
0: And by this point, you just feel like such a piece of garbage that you just want to surround yourself with other pieces of garbage because then you don't feel so bad about yourself.
2: So you're back in Edmonton and are are you living with this latest as you call him gent?
0: No, I, I literally like came to and was like, where the fuck am I? Like, how the fuck did I get here and who are you and like I need I need a phone um and it was in that moment that I was like I can't do this I'm gonna die I'm gonna die and I am I am I don't want to I do not want to die right now I want to go home and I got a phone and I called my parents and I was high as a kite um but I was just desperate to not die
2: And what did they say this time? Because they've heard this story from you before.
0: They said, well, you can come home, but you're going to go to rehab. You're going to get help. You're going to stay clean and sober. You are not going out with anybody or anything until you can get your life sorted out. You're not going to do this to us again. This is the last hope that you have. And after this, that's it. You're done.
2: And were you done? I I mean, was this, was this the moment is, is this when the, the flip is switched? Is this when you decide that you need to do something different? As you just said, if I don't, I'm going to wake up dead. Sorry. Not going to wake up. I'll just be dead. I'm just, I'm not going to wake up. Yeah. Uh,
0: that was the, that was my absolute rock bottom because at least I knew how I got to places before, um, you know, to be, was oh, it 7 hours north of wherever the hell I was before and not knowing how you got there that's terrifying. Um it was my absolute rock bottom and my biggest realization that was like I I don't want to die. I thought I did I don't want to die.
2: You're you're trying to find light in all of this darkness.
0: Oh so much. Um and my family they're so amazing like I don't know if I could have been able to forgive my kid the way that they did. Like, I hadn't talked to my dad in a long time. Uh, And they were just so, like, we're getting you a bus ticket. We're going to meet you at the bus station here in Medicine Hat.
2: Um, I think it speaks... I think this speaks volumes of how important it is to have at least somebody in your life that gives a shit.
0: Yeah. And without my family, I don't think I ever, I mean, they are just such a huge part of why I was able to succeed in getting through all of this. Um, Because without them, I wouldn't have had the support that I needed. And I'll tell you, They wanted me to go to rehab and all that stuff. And I got home. And I mean, the first two weeks of being home, I don't actually really remember um, anything at all. Um, I do remember my parents taking me um, to N.A. What's N.A.? Narcotics Anonymous. Okay. Um, And I remember that not being a very positive avenue. Um, And I remember my parents saying, it 's a six week wait list to get me into rehab any rehab uh in b c or alberta couldn't couldn't get into one um so here I am ready to quit doing the drugs quit drinking quit you know being an idiot <laughs> there's no help <laughs> there's just there's like no help for me at this point
2: half of your life you've you, you know you've been a in a drug induced drug riddled state you decide to clean yourself up and uh, the government, the people that are supposed to help us, the, the people that are supposed to have things in place go, yeah, sorry, you're going to have to wait. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> and like, so what do you do? You wait.
0: Well- Luckily for me, I have a family that could afford to get me some private help which was with a psychologist and you know get make sure that I'm going to the the that lady for you know a couple times a week and that they were strong enough and able to keep me at home and be my support and be healthy for me and help me make good choices and you know it's all because of them that I was able to succeed. I never Where do
2: you, be, where, where do you begin? How do you start to heal?
0: well the first thing i had to do is i was supposed to be 100 percent honest with my parents but i did not want to put them through all of that like that is they my mom does not need to ever know the entire story about what happened in all those years um so i just try to be as honest with them as i could without breaking them <laughs> i guess yeah yeah um, and so, yeah, I went through my first month of being in Medicine Hat, clean and sober.
2: And so you went. So you went to rehab? No,
0: I never did get into rehab.
2: <laughs> really?
0: Yeah, I literally like between my psychologist and my family and my will. Well,
2: that's what it is, isn't it? I mean, your your will, your strength, your fearlessness.
0: I didn't want to die. And I knew that. And I knew that if I continued on that path, I would. And I just said to myself, I can never, ever, ever do drugs ever again. Like, ever. Um, And I stayed away. Like, I think that was a huge thing, too. It was removing me from everybody that i knew and all of the abilities to get drugs and stuff like that and being forced to stay at home with my family knowing that they love me and that i didn't want to disappoint them um just completely removing me from all of the familiar situations from previous and putting me into a much healthier environment
2: was it hard to live healthy after a lifetime of not
0: i tell you it really wasn't (laughs) I was really just so wanting to live and not wanting to disappoint my parents ever again. I think the hardest thing has been, um, well, I guess like for, like, there was a good six years there where my emotions didn't really exist. Like, I had anger and I had sadness, but I didn't really experience joy and happiness or anything like that after I'd quit doing drugs. Um, and that was, that was quite a bit of a challenge, like just trying to figure that out. And then suddenly when emotions started coming back, it was like, how the hell do you deal with these? Like, I felt like a hormonal teenager, unable to recognize what it was that I was feeling. Um, so that was a lot of, that was a lot of work on that. Um, and my dear husband <laughs> has had so much patience with me. Um, cause I met him pretty soon after I came back to Madison Hat um, much to my parents' dismay, because they're like, "No, you can't do this."
2: Uh, he's a good guy. I know your. I know your husband.
0: Yeah, he's a pretty good dude. You know. Yeah,
2: yeah. 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 I like him. <laughs> so, so ultimately, you made the decision, going, "Fuck it, I've had enough." Yeah. And then you were so committed to living that kind of lifestyle, you took that and you committed yourself to living the opposite kind of lifestyle and this is where your story gets really 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 good we're done with the dark this is where the light comes in
0: yeah so much (laughs) it's uh it was just a really um i don't even know what to say there it's like
2: 50. how does it st- how does it start so where, where, so when does the good start coming in obviously you're sober that's huge yeah. that the, the, that's the biggest first step yeah
0: um yeah and then like I said dealing with my psychologist and trying to like dig through all these things and meeting my husband to end up being like the first good choice I've made in a really long time and living with this supportive, wonderful family that I have. And, you know, a couple years down the road, I find out that I'm pregnant with, um, our first, well, let's say he's our middle child, but my first (laughs) born.
2: Okay. I'm with you. I got you. Yeah. So, uh,
0: Simon has a son from a previous marriage who Mm -hmm. I've been with since he was 18 months old. Um, and, yeah, so then, yeah, we find out that we're pregnant with Ashton and a couple years after that we have a Miss Pippa and on we go to create this lovely little family where, you know, it's been so cool because I have the best kids and I probably don't deserve to have kids as wonderful as this. I mean, they might still turn out a little shady in life. We don't know. <laughs> they're well, they're only really like 16, 12 and nine right now. So,
2: well, you know, you got to have a little bit of, I think everybody needs a little bit of shadiness in their life to really appreciate the yeah. good in your life. You know how, yeah. I, I, so your husband, Simon, when you told him everything that's happened in your life, was he shocked? Was he accepting? was he, Was he both? Was there any trepidation? Was there any cautiousness on his part? And were you worried that after sharing your life with him, that he might say, you know what, this isn't for me?
0: So that's actually happened. Um, (laughs) uh, I don't know how much he's going to appreciate me sharing this, but um, Simon and I, I, I could say
2: we could change his name, but shit, it's too late for that.
0: Too late. Plus he's British, so, you know, Simon's just the fitting name. Um, he and I did get together, like, shortly after I'd gone clean. So that is a a big factor in the tumultuousness of our re- relationship in the beginning. Um, but I definitely um, wanted to be able to share things with him, and it took me years. Like, I think I just told him about the old incident like three or four years ago, five years ago. Um, Okay. And every time I tell him something, he's like, I wish you told me sooner because that explains a lot. (laughs) Like it explains about like, why you kind of cage yourself up and you know, maybe why you don't feel things the way that other people feel things or, you know, why you react differently to situations and why you have these panic attacks. (laughs) Like, you know, it was, uh, it was a, it was quite a journey with him. And um, because he didn't have all of the knowledge in the beginning Um, he didn't understand why I reacted certain ways and why I did certain things. And we actually split up not once, but twice, Mm -hmm. um, six months, the first time and a year and a half, the second time. Um, and it was when I came completely clean with him and told him absolutely everything, absolutely everything that he said, like, I love you and I want to be with you and I need you to stop trying to force me away. Um, and was, that
2: hard? was that hard to hear?
0: Yeah, because I know that I caused some huge and horrible problems within my marriage because I was dishonest. Um, and he really did deserve to know what he was getting himself into, I think, because, you know, I have a very uh, unique background, <laughs> which takes a unique set of skills to be able to deal with uh and he it turns out he has all those skills. I just didn't let him let me know that
2: so and 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 how are you feeling about life these days?
0: Oh fantastic. Um, so in the last five years, we wholeheartedly committed ourselves to each other um, where we said that's it, like we've tried being apart. you know it obviously we are meant to be together. obviously we should be together. We're not doing this to our kids again. Yeah. Um, and then you know we discovered theater um, together with the Madison Musical Theater, uh, where we've both directed and produced and stage managed and done all sorts of fun things with them, which uh, really grew a healthy surrounding family. Because um, theater people, as any theater person knows, we are a giant family, very yeah. supportive and filled with unique individuals. Um, so that was a huge support. Um, my mom was the president of the Canadian Mental Health Association and she retired from the board. And turns out she voluntold me onto it. <laughs> so that's how I ended up there.
2: Yeah. So you went from being a homeless, drug addicted teenager that was emotionally, physically, sexually abused to living this life where you're a mom and married to a great man and you have fantastic kids and a fantastic career and it's not stopping there and you're continuing to, you know, make yourself a a better person.
0: Well, yeah, I think my biggest goal is to uh, finish up with this education at some point and utilize that to assist others that have been through, Things like what I've been
2: through—that's um, your—that's your goal. That's that's the next step in Leah's life.
0: Oh, the next step. Well, there's many next steps because, uh, as we all know, I like to be busy. Um, and uh, a friend of mine and I are starting a yoga academy, um, so that's that's pretty cool. It's a fun adventure that we are also working on. So,
2: hey, is that the yoga class that I was going to attend before crap went sideways with COVID?
0: <laughs> that was for my teacher's certification. I was doing some uh, practice practice
2: teaching i bought myself yoga pants for that very lesson by the way
0: buddy i you were supposed to wear a unitard
2: i have one of those as well i'm going to save that for the second class
0: excellent
2: neon green i got it from mr perfect at a garage sale
0: nice sweaty unitard yeah it's awesome
2: it's awesome it's fantastic
0: as soon as we're able as soon as we're able after the covid's I better see you in that unitard. I'm just saying.
2: You will. And I, we're going to we're gonna wrap this up here right away. You and I have known each other for years and I've known bits and pieces of your life. But to hear it in, in such detail, I, I mean, I have that much more respect and, and love for you and, and what you've accomplished and, and where you've come from so based on that, any final thoughts, any final words, whether it's about your life or advice that you might want to give to somebody else that is in the same position that you were in? And
0: it turns out that there's always a way out, um- There is always a light at the end of the tunnel. You just got to find it. You just got to persevere and you can do it. There's apparently a lot of help out there that I was unaware of. And I mean, we really needed to make sure that, you know, everybody out there is getting more of this information of like where you can get help. Because I mean, I also went through a lot of this, like, you know, pre-Facebook, pre-Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think it's just imperative that, All of the help is there and it's all made available to everybody. So, and we need definitely more detox centers and rehab centers and, you know, just, just help for people who want to get out to be able to have the help now.
2: And you're a a huge part of that. You, you've lived the dark side, you're living the light side. Leah, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm going to go get you a 20 pack of nuggets with the uh, mustard sauce.
0: (laughs) Your dull face. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this time we've had together today, even though we're not in the same room. Miss your face.
2: You do? Look at this bearded gray thing. Wow. (laughs) I miss your face too, Leah. Thank you.
1: Uh, We'll talk soon. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Contact Our Collective Journey on Facebook at Our Collective Journey or on the web at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by Poncho Parker. Produced by Rob Pate, Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in Media Network exclusive. Check out this and our other great podcasts at network.com. Thank you for listening.